Well, happy Valentine's Day. Glad you're here with us uh, to celebrate that. And today, uh, we are in part two of a series called Up. And in this series, we're learning how to stand up, how to speak up, how to show up, and how to pray up. And the guy who's teaching us how to do that is an Old Testament character by the name of Daniel. And if you're familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, that's the guy that we're learning from. If you're not familiar with that, next week we're actually going to learn that specific story. Amazing story. Daniel's an amazing character, and, and he really is the guy to be able to teach us how to do these things. Now, as we begin, let me ask kind of a, a strange question. How many of you have kind of strange, vivid dreams? Like sometimes you wake up from your dreams and you're like, what was that? all about. Okay, a number of us, you, know, you probably understand what that's like. Um, I had this past week, I woke up from a dream. It's kind of a weird dream. It was a Saturday and I was working around the house like I typically do. And what I found when I was working around the house was I found these secret rooms behind our bedrooms. So my wife and I have four kids and behind our kids' bedrooms, behind our bedroom, I found secret rooms. And what I found in those secret rooms were lots of random squatters, people living in those rooms. And so like, I'm like weirded out in my dream. Like I open the door and there's all these people kind of like hanging out, being casual about it. I'm like, what are you doing in my house? And so I, I start yelling at these people in my dream. What are you doing here? How long have you been here? And most importantly, get out of my house now. My wife looks over and watches me kind of wrestling in my sleep and talking in my sleep and, and lovingly wakes me up. And I wake up with a little adrenaline rush. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm not sure. I've got to go see if we have secret rooms in our house and strange people living here with us. And she says, fire down, Sparky. It was just a dream. So it took me a moment to kind of calm down. And then I'm thinking like, what in the world does that mean? When do I dream about stuff like that? That's crazy. I wish I had someone who could interpret that for me. But if I did, they'd probably say, you ate too many Reese cups before you went to bed last night. But wouldn't it be great when we have dreams like that, if we could go to somebody that we trusted, that we knew would speak God's truth, that could help us understand what our dreams mean and, and if there is any meaning to them. Well, today we're going to watch Daniel do that. So Daniel was given this amazing ability by God to interpret dreams. And he's going to do that for this pagan King Nebuchadnezzar, a guy that he was serving at the time. And Daniel's not just going to interpret the dream. He's going to take it a step further and he's going to say something to the king. He's going to speak up to the king something that I don't think any of us in Daniel's situation would do. So we'll let you evaluate whether you would do that if you were in that spot or not. Uh, but we're, today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, flip over to Daniel chapter 4. If you don't, we've got Bibles in the back of each seating section, our free gift to you. Um, if you don't have one of those, then the verses are going to come up on the screen. If you weren't here last week, you don't know Daniel's story, let me give you a little bit of background to Daniel's story. So Daniel lived about 600 years before the life of Christ. And he lived in Jerusalem. He was a Jew. And at the time, there was this very powerful king by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. He was leading the Babylonians, which would be for us modern-day Iraq and Iran. He was leading the Babylonians around the Middle East to conquer all the nations. And so they got over to uh, Jerusalem, to Israel, and they defeated them in battle and took most of them back to Babylon to live as slaves. So Daniel was a part of that group. And at the time that, he, that this happened for Daniel... 
He was probably around 12 to 15 years of age. And I think that's what, as we saw last week, what makes Daniel's life so amazing. And we watched Daniel last week. He stood up to the king and one of the king's commands and God protected him and honored him because of that. The king interacted with him and saw that Daniel and several of his friends so impressed the king that they were 10 times more wise, had 10 times more judgment, more good judgment than all the other people that he was around at the time. So he gave them jobs in his kingdom. So another kind of a strange part of the story. But Daniel, as a slave, got a job working for the king. So here we are in Daniel chapter four, and the king has this really bad dream. So he wakes up from this dream. It bothers him so much. He goes to his wise men. So he's got magicians around him. He's got enchanters. He's got astrologers. He's got all these people that he calls wise men. And he goes to them as his advisors, and he says, please tell me what this dream means. It's weirding me out. I need to know. Now, our translation of the Bible and several other translations say that these wise men could not interpret the dream. There are other versions of the Bible that indicate they would not interpret the dream. I kind of lean in that category. I kind of think that they would not interpret the dream. And the reason is this was bad news. This was bad news for the king. And when you hear the dream, like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to kind of figure out what the dream means. So that's why I think in this moment, uh, the wise men around King Nebuchadnezzar are saying, this is bad news. I don't want to be the one that tells him. Like, I'm not going to tell them because the people who tell them bad news, they pay for that with their life. So you think about that, how dangerous that would be. In those days, people would surround themselves with people who would only tell them what they wanted to hear. And around King Nebuchadnezzar, there were a bunch of people, they only wanted to say positive things to the king. And then in comes Daniel and the wise men are like, well, Daniel's crazy. Like he's willing to say whatever. So let's let him do it. So Daniel comes in and the king tells him the dream. So the dream is found in Daniel chapter four, starting in verse 10, and it goes like this. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking this. And he says, while I was laying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, cast the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by green grass. Now let him, so there's a transition in the dream, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of a human, the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the most high rules over the kingdoms of the world. And he gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Belteshazzar, that was another name for Daniel. That was Daniel's Babylonian name. 
Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men of my kingdom can do so. But you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And King Nebuchadnezzar didn't even understand, understood what that meant in that moment. All he knew was there was something very different about Daniel, something very special about Daniel. He says, Daniel, tell me what, what this means. Verse 19. Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Now, I think in this moment, you've got the king looking at Daniel and watching Daniel have the same response that all of his wise men had. Like they were bothered. They're looking at the ground, didn't want to make eye contact. Like, I don't know, how do I say this? Like, this is bad news. How do I say this to the king? And the king looks at Daniel and says, Daniel, it'll be okay. All right, just tell me what this means. It's bothering me. Please tell me what it means. Now, I'm not going to kill you. Just tell me what it means. So verse 19, Daniel says, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. Now, think about Daniel's situation and who he's talking to. He's speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's speaking to a ruthless king who took his country into slavery. Even though he has a job in this country, he is a slave. Daniel's a slave here to the king. So he easily could have said, uh, you know what, king, like, this is what you deserve. God is about to give you what you deserve for the way that you have lived, the way you've treated me and my country, that you don't recognize God as God. So you know what? Sucks to be you. <laughs> if you look deeply in the Hebrew... It's in there. (laughs) Just kidding, it's not. So he could have said that, but Daniel didn't. Daniel had real care and concern for his king. He had real care and concern for this pagan king, this king that, that doesn't serve his God, that doesn't acknowledge the God of heaven at all. And Daniel has real care and concern for him. So as I'm reading through the Bible, as I read through any story of the Bible, one of the things that I'm doing is I will start asking questions of myself and asking questions of us. And I'll pause and say, like, what would I do in this situation? How would I respond? How would I interact? How am I living right now if I'm in a similar situation? So a question for us is how are we treating people around us who don't serve the God that we serve or who don't share our faith system? Maybe... You're working for a boss that you don't like. Has has anybody ever worked for a boss you didn't like? Don't point at them if they're here today. That won't go good for you tomorrow. Um, But, you know, sometimes we get in these situations where these relationships, where we have to be in these relationships, and we're we're with somebody that, like, I don't like this person. I I, I really don't like working for this person. I had a, a boss one time years ago, really didn't like, he's a jerk. And like nobody liked him in the office. And I'm not sure how he got the position of supervisor. Like don't know how that happened. Like maybe he was the only person there when they needed a supervisor. Um, But he ended up in that spot. And like everybody hated him at the office. And one day my dream came true. He got demoted. Okay, so he went from my supervisor to my peer. All right. So now how I interacted with him after that was sucks to be you. Like, you used to tell me what to do, and I had to do it, but now I don't have to do what you say. And you know, when you come up with an idea in our office to make our office maybe work a little bit better, I say, dumb idea. (laughs) 
because I don't want to listen to you. And nothing that comes out of your mouth, I'm going to support. Why? Because I think you're a jerk and I want to treat you like that. Now, in hindsight, was that the wisest way to interact with that person? Was that a way to help that person grow in their relationship with God the way that Daniel was trying to help King Nebuchadnezzar? No, that was wrong. Like, I shouldn't have behaved that way. And there are moments I look back at some of my actions, I'm like, oh, what a dork. I was the one that was the dork. I was the one that was a jerk. I mean, I should have known better. I should have interacted differently to help this person in their relationship with God or possibly start a new relationship with God. And yet, I missed that in that moment. So how about for you today? Maybe you're in an environment, work environment, school environment, home environment. Maybe there's someone around you that you think you're just a jerk and you want to treat him that way. Well, is that how God wants you to behave? Will that help that person take a step towards God or take a step back with God? That's something I think we all need to wrestle with when it comes to learning how to live like Daniel and how to interact with people the way that Daniel would want us to interact, the way that God would want us to interact. So in verse 24, Daniel tells the king what his dream meant. Verse 24 through 26, he says, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the most high has declared will happen to my lord, the king. You'll be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. Now again, Daniel could have said, that's the dream enjoy the grass. Could have said that, but he didn't. Daniel didn't stop right there. Daniel took it a step further, and Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar something that none of us, I think, would want to tell King Nebuchadnezzar. He told him what I call the last 10%. Now, let me explain the last 10%. Most of us are pretty good at giving 80% of our opinion on somebody's choices and what they're doing in their life. Maybe we stretch it to 90%, um, but we're not really good at giving that last 10% of what we feel, of what we think is happening in someone else's world. Who do we tell the last 10% to? Everybody else. Like we call our friends, we call their friends. We call our mom's friends and we tell them like, hey, can you believe that person did that? That's horrible, terrible. I can't believe they do that. I would never do that in their situation. They need to change that or God's gonna make them eat grass like a cow. And we do all kinds of weird things and tell all kinds of people the stuff that we need to be speaking to one person. That's where we need to speak the last 10% to. Now, here's where we have to be careful in a message like this because some of us don't have a problem speaking the last 10%. Don't point them out if they're here, okay? They are here. But some of us don't have that problem. Some of us actually start our, our conversations with the last 10%. You know, you meet somebody new. Hey, nice to meet you. Don't like your hat or your shirt, but nice to meet you. Now, now if, if that's you, if that's your personality, that's not how God wants us to speak the last 10%, okay? That's not what Daniel's doing here. Daniel's not waiting for an opportunity to pounce on the king. 
He's not waiting for this vulnerable moment to tell the king what he thinks. Daniel has real care and concern for this king, and he's going to do this in a way that will honor the king, that will honor his God. Now, there are a bunch of us, probably more in the other category, that our perspective is, I don't want to confront anybody about anything, anytime, anywhere. If you're in that spot, I'm in that spot. Right? That's my personality. Like, I'd rather not confront anybody about anything. You know, live your life, I'll live my life, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out when we get to the end. But I honestly believe that God has called all of us to this. If you're a Christ follower, God has called all of us to learn how to lovingly confront people around us, to learn how to lovingly speak the truth to other people in, in these moments. And so here's what Daniel is going to do. Daniel is going to model for us how to speak the last 10%. So in verse 27, Daniel says this. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Listen to the humility that he starts that conversation with. It's an awkward moment. The king says, it's going to be okay. Please tell me what it is. And Daniel starts and he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. All right, let's say the next two words together, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. Stop sinning. Big move from Daniel. Big move. King, stop sinning and do what is right Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Now, I can't believe that Daniel spoke that in this moment. I mean, again, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to pagan King Nebuchadnezzar. What does the king know about sin? He thinks he's a god. He doesn't know what sin is. He does whatever he wants whenever he wants. So he doesn't understand the concept of sin, of right and wrong. He doesn't have a moral compass like Daniel does in this moment. And so that still doesn't keep Daniel from speaking the last 10%. And he knew I could pay for these words with my life. And yet Daniel steps up and he speaks the truth. Now again, I honestly believe if you're a Christ follower, You want to grow in your relationship with God? At some point, God is going to ask you to lovingly speak the truth to someone else. It might be another Christ follower. It might be somebody at work. It might be someone at home. It might be someone at school. It might be someone at church. It might be someone in in your world. And, And isn't that super exciting to hear? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Like, wow, this is so great. And some of you are thinking, yeah, this is awesome. God's told me now I can speak the last 10%, and you're ready. But please, if you're in that spot, don't go yet, okay? Um, Just hold off. Wait till this message comes out on our website or on our iTunes account. Listen to it five more times before you do anything, okay? Because there's a real how that we need to do this. It's super, super important. Um, And if you aren't in that spot, if you're in that spot where, man, I would never want to confront anybody anytime, remember... God has asked us to do that. And God not only asks us in the Old Testament part of the Bible, he actually asks us in the New Testament part of the Bible. So we're going to shift into the New Testament for a moment. We're going to look at a writing from the Apostle Paul, a guy that that wrote most of the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Out of the New International Version, it says this. 
Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. So Paul comes along, echoes what Daniel has done, and says, listen, if you know somebody, if there's somebody around you, somebody in your world, somebody in your circle, your sphere of influence, and they're making choices that are hurting them and other people around them, God wants you to lovingly confront them, to speak up about that issue. If you know somebody whose marriage has fallen apart because they're making such horrible decisions, such horrible choices, you need to speak up about that. If you've got a friend who's making bad friend choices, bad life choices, bad drug choices, you need to speak up. Say something to them. You know somebody who's making bad financial decisions that's hurting them, hurting their future, hurting their family. Will you have genuine care and concern for them and speak up and talk to them about that? That conversation Your conversation with them, my conversation, just might be the conversation that moves them in the right direction. It might be the thing that God uses to help them get on track or back on track in their relationship with God. Now, let's look back at that verse and see what we should speak up about. Daniel talked about it. We said it out loud together. And then Paul echoes it in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, if someone is caught in, all right, let's say those two words together, one, two, three, a sin. If someone is caught in a sin or, or th- that concept is trapped in a sin, like it's overcome them, like they can't control it anymore, like it's got it, its hold on them and they're not they're able to, to battle that thing. If someone is, is caught in a sin, stuck in a sin, we're supposed to talk to them about that. So God wants us to deal with sin issues, not preference issues. Okay, so in Daniel's story, this isn't Daniel coming to the king and saying, you know what, king, like, I can't stand how you chew your food. Like, you just chew like a cow. And you know, like, we go to, out to Olive Garden together, and you're just smacking all around. Your food's falling out of your mouth. It's disgusting. And if you don't stop that, God is going to punish you by making you into a cow. And, and, and you'll be like the Chick-fil-A cow saying, eat more chicken. Like, don't do that. It's really irritating. This isn't a preference issue. This is a sin issue that Daniel is dealing with in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. Now, there may be other issues that we need to talk to people about in our world that's beyond sin issues. So maybe like you're a boss and you have an employee that's not working the way that they need to be working. And maybe it's not a sin issue. Uh, Maybe it's just a work issue that you need to address with them. Maybe you're in a relationship with somebody and they're doing something that hurts you and hurts your relationship. And maybe it's not a sin issue. And maybe what you need to do is talk to them and say like, hey, this thing is hurting our relationship and we need to figure this out so we can have the best relationship possible. So there are other times that we talk to people outside of sin issues, but what Daniel is modeling for us is a specific sin issue. Now, let's look at how we should do this. Back in Galatians 6, 1 through 3, we're looking at New Living Translation. It says, if someone is overcome by some sin, you who are godly. Okay, how many of you think you're godly? Me either. I don't think any of us think we're godly. So let me give you the context of what's happening here. So it says, those of you who think you're godly, or are godly, those of you who are living by the Spirit, the context here is when we're on the path with God, when we're doing what we need to be doing, living in the life that we need to be living with God, 
and we see someone else who's off path with God, that's the moment we should talk to them about that. Now, if I'm way off track in my relationship with God, should I be confronting other people about them being off track with God? No. Why? Because I'm not on track with God. I need to get back on track with God before I talk to somebody else about them being off track with God. So the whole, if you're godly, if you're living by the Spirit in that moment, it's those moments when we're in tune with God and we're doing what we know we need to be doing. It's in those moments that God wants us to lovingly confront other people who are off track with him. Now notice this, the next few words. So you who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly, help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now look at this next verse. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So guess what? When I've got someone around me who's off track in their relationship with God and they've got this sin issue going on with them, guess whose burden it should be? Mine. It's not just theirs. It's not just theirs alone. This is what Jesus calls a law of Christ. So the law is I should carry the burden with them. I should feel this burden in my heart. I've got this friend. I've got this boss. I've got this person in my life. They're off track in their relationship with God and I should care enough to lovingly confront them about that issue. And then Paul gives us his last 10% in verse three. He says this, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. I just love his honesty there. So how do we help people who are stuck in a sin? We have to speak up. We have to speak the truth to them in love. The last 10%, gently and humbly, that's how God wants us to interact with people in this kind of scenario. Now, we are not responsible for how they respond, but we are responsible for how we confront. So we need to hear that today. Some of you, like, that's a burden on your heart. You, know, you confront somebody, it doesn't go well, man, it hurts. And you feel responsible for that. We are not responsible for how other people respond. We are responsible to God for how we confront. And you'll have some people that you'll come alongside and you want to lovingly help them move forward in their relationship with God. And they will say, you are right. Like, I can't believe that no one's told me this before. Like, this is so right. I'm so glad that you spoke that truth. Now, that's rare, <laughs> right? It's rare. It's actually recorded in scripture. It happened. Jonah came to the Ninevites and spoke to them. And the Ninevites said, you are so right. We're wrong. And they adjusted their, their, their behavior, their lifestyle choices. And so sometimes that'll happen. The other times, one of our worst fears will happen. Someone will end a relationship with us. Uh, you'll lovingly confront somebody and they'll say, you know what? I don't ever want you to do that again. That's happened to me several times where I've tried to lovingly confront someone. Uh, in one scenario, someone invited me to speak that truth to them. When I did, they said, don't ever do that again. And they broke the relationship. It broke my heart. Like, for real? That's how you're gonna behave? When I tried to speak the truth, when you invited me to speak truth to you, 
And then God reminds me, I'm not responsible for how they respond, but I still am responsible for how I confront and, and, and whether I confront or not. So even if I say, you know what, well, they're not going to handle it well, God doesn't say, oh, well, if they're not going to handle it well, then you're off the hook. God doesn't say that. We're responsible for how we confront. Now, there'll be other people, other times that we come along and we uh, try to lovingly confront them. And at first, they'll be resistant and get defensive and maybe try to point things out in our life that, that we're not you know, living rightly or doing things that we should be doing um, and that's a natural response. We all have that. I have that. And maybe they'll slowly come to a realization of what you're talking about. Maybe a few hours later, maybe a few days later, maybe a few months or years later. In Daniel's context, he spoke truth to the king, and it took eight years, eight years for the king to recognize that Daniel was right. But listen to what happened in verse 34. Daniel chapter 4, 34 Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says this, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and this craziest thing ever happened. He said, I praised and worshiped the most high and honored the one who lives forever. Can you believe that? We're talking about a pagan king who says, I don't know your gods. I defeated your God in battle. So I am the God. My gods are bigger than your God. And in this moment, King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, after eight years, praises the God of heaven. Like, that is just craziness. That would be like King Saddam Hussein, before he died, doing that, praising the God of heaven. Again, we're not responsible for how long it takes someone to respond or how they respond. We are responsible for whether we confront and how we confront. In my own life, Over 22 years ago, someone confronted me about a sin issue in my life. And let me tell you how I responded. I got defensive, and I blamed them. I said it was their issue, not my issue. And I didn't run from it for eight years. I ran for nine years. So take that, King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, I I was more uh, stubborn than King Nebuchadnezzar. And nine years into the journey, my heart was so heavy. It was a sin issue. And I was still in a relationship with that person. And I distanced myself and did some weird relationship gymnastics to kind of make me feel better about me and them. And it was their issue, not my issue. But after nine years, I stopped running and said, they're right. I'm wrong. And I'm so grateful I still have a very close relationship with that person. And I'm so grateful that that person spoke truth to me. And I'm grieved that it took me nine years, nine years to respond. But I'm so grateful that I finally did. And God used them speaking to me to get me to respond. So I'm so grateful. And I'm going to be eternally grateful for this person speaking truth to me in that context And so, in my life, I have been confronted on multiple occasions by people. Someone confronted me this past week about something. It wasn't a sin issue, but it was just a relationship issue. And they confronted me this past week. And I have confronted people on multiple occasions. I find myself, in the context of being a pastor, doing that more often than I kind of prefer. But there are moments that 
I come alongside somebody and there's this discipleship issue or the sin issue in their lives and I, I, I got to help them because it's my burden as well. Like my heart is grieved when, when somebody's off track with God. And so there have been moments that I've spoken truth and it hasn't gone real well. There have been moments that I've spoken truth and it has gone real well. But it, this is something that, that I've experienced in my life um, for a number of years now. And so here's the application for you today. Is there somebody you need to lovingly confront in your world? Maybe at home, work, school, church, small group. Do you need to lovingly confront someone? And some of you, um, here's what's going through your mind right now. I should have picked another day to come to church. Because I know. I know right now. Like, yeah, that person's name is in my mind. I've got to talk to them, and I probably need to do it very soon, if not today. So if you're in that spot, let me give you just a few words of encouragement for all of us. When we're in that spot, when we sense we need to lovingly confront someone, here is how we need to do that. Here's some things we need to remember. Number one, we need to do that quickly. Okay, so when an issue comes up, when there's a, a, a sin issue or a, a conflict issue that happens between us and someone else or something we observe in someone's life, we need to do it quickly. When we recognize that, that's the moment we need to go and talk with them, not to wait a year or two years or, or 10 years or, or whatever. We need to do that quickly. Now, I understand there are times it is difficult to do that. Let's, let's just say that you were abused as a kid by an adult. Well, that may take a lot of time for you to get to the spot where you can do that. I understand, I get that. But in general, Quicker is better. Number two, we need to do it prayerfully. We need to prayerfully confront people, lovingly confront people. We need to say, God, please teach me, like, like what is the, the real issue here? Give me clarity to speak the real issue. Lord, show me, like, do I have any hidden motives here? Like, am I trying to, to talk about this so I can jab them in a moment? Because, I, like, I was hurt by something that, that they did. Like, what are my motives in this moment? Please show me. So prayerfully, we've got to spend lots of time bathing this in prayer before we go and talk to somebody. Number three, we need to do it privately. Privately. So if there's a, a sin issue between you and someone else, go talk to that person. Don't go talk to their friends. Talk to them. Them alone. If there's a couple of people involved, go talk to those few other people. Okay, this isn't something that, you know, I, I'm going to bring it up in small group and get my whole small group involved if there's one other person involved. That's not what this is about. We need to talk directly to the people involved. Keep it as private as possible. Like when you are on the receiving end of this and someone may be lovingly confronting you or trying to lovingly confront you, how many people do you want involved in the conversation? So do it privately. Number four, do it humbly and gently. You need to have large amounts of humility and grace and gentleness when we go to confront somebody. So if you're not in that spot, Spend time praying to get in that spot. Like this isn't, again, a moment to power up on somebody or get even or get revenge or point out something in their life where they're, they're wrong. This is, we do this out of humility because we want to help them get back on track with God. Number five, focus on a sin issue, not a preference issue. This really is an important issue. It's not about a preference. And I don't like your shirt or how you comb your hair. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sin issues here. And then number six, leave the results to God. We're not responsible for how they respond. We're responsible for how we confront. Now, think about this fun issue. Someone's probably thinking about you right now. 
Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> but there may be somebody thinking like, like I got to talk to that person. I'm, I'm grieved. I'm burdened. Like maybe they're off track in the relationship with God. So how do you want them to approach you? And how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like me? Run for nine years? It's kind of exhausting. I know I did it. Are you going to listen and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you're right. Like, I need to be open to this conversation. I need to explore this together. I need to explore this with you. I need to learn what stuff is in me that's keeping me from my relationship with God. So what if somebody needs to confront you? Speaking up is, is not the most fun thing to do in the world, but I truly believe it can be eternally rewarding. I honestly believe we'll stand in eternity, look back at those conversations that we had and say, I'm so glad I tried to help that person. And I honestly believe we will look back at the conversations where people had with us and we will say, I am so glad someone had that conversation with me, especially if we responded. Now, um, I know you're so glad you came to church today for this one. And uh, you're super excited, ready to go out and do this. Um, So we need to pray before we we leave today. And I would like to pray today for those of you that are in that spot and you know, like when we were talking, you know, there's a name, there's a person, they're in your mind, you're like, I got to talk to them today or tomorrow or this week. So if you're in that spot, I'd like to close today by praying for you. And I would like you to be bold enough to raise your hand and let me know that you're in that spot. So don't point at the person you need to confront. Just raise your hand if you're in the spot where you know you need to confront someone. Raise it high. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Now, let's, the rest of us, all pray for these people today. Okay, let's pray. Wow, Lord, I love reading about Daniel. I'm so impressed with this guy. Like last week, we saw him determined in advance to obey you no matter what, and you blessed him for that. And then today, we we watch him in another difficult situation, and and he decides, you know what, I'm just going to speak the truth. I'm going to have genuine care and concern for people that, that God has placed me around. And Lord, we need to, to hear that. We need to see that. We need to learn how to live like Daniel did. So Lord, there are a number of us here. We know we need to confront somebody. And we want to do it right. We don't want to do it wrong. We don't want to damage people in the process. We want to actually help people. We want to speak the truth to them. We want to speak it in a, a gentle way, a humble way, a gracious way. We want to have deep care and concern for them like Daniel had for King Nebuchadnezzar. So Lord, I pray for these folks that have raised their hands today. Lord, that you would give them boldness, Daniel kind of boldness. And Lord, I pray that you would give them clarity of mind. I pray that you would give them a burden in their heart that they know They've got to speak the truth. And I pray that you would tie them back to your truth. And that truth is we're not responsible for how people respond. We're responsible for how we confront. So I pray, Lord, that you would go before them this week and you would create the right timing, that you would work in the hearts of the people they need to speak to. And Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to be spoken to, I pray that we would be in a spot where we could hear those things. We would be gracious 
And we would want people to speak truth to us to help us become more like Jesus. So Lord, I just pray boldly that you would help us to live like Daniel. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Okay, thanks for being here today. Next week, we're going to learn how to show up. Daniel's going to model something amazing for us. Before you leave, stop by our volunteer table and sign up. Figure out how you can serve with us as a church. Thanks for being here. Happy Valentine's Day. So next Sunday, our five-week group experience for you to be able to join a men's, women's, or couples community group starts. And I can't tell you how much it's meant in my personal life to be surrounded at times with small groups and having people in my life to help me out. As my wife can attest as well, we've been in moments where we've needed some people to help us, and we've been in moments where we've helped other people. And so it's been a great process to be in small groups. So I highly encourage you to come out next week. If you could help us out, uh, we would love to know how many of you are wanting to get into uh, a group. And so if you could pre-register, you see John Manzi in the back. He's next to the tech booth at the table there uh, to sign up so that we can know how many people are going to be coming out next week. And then on your seats, you have a card for the community group experience that tells you the times, the location, and then also childcare. So grab one of those for the details, or you can check it out on our site as well. Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. If you are a guest, thank you so much for joining us. And if you would like to find out more information of who we are, we'd love for you to stop by our Connection Center over there, and we would love to meet you and answer any questions that you might have. Well, before we continue on with the rest of our service, I've just have several announcements. And the first one is kind of more of a celebration. So yesterday, about 120 of you went out to go glean and pick up citrus. Yep, go ahead. And broccoli yesterday. And you guys did an amazing job. Uh, I'm forgetting the name, but it's not oranges or tangerines. It's like sit, somebody know? Sit Zuma, something like that. Sorry. But anyways... They are awesome. So at first you like get them and they feel like, oh, they're rotten or something like that because they're kind of squishy, but they are delicious on the inside. So we've actually have a few of them left over for you. If you like some of them, grab a bag, not a box for the boxes we need to return, but grab a bag, fill up some. Uh, maybe you have a neighbor who uh, needs them or something like that. And so go ahead and grab the remaining parts that we have. But here's what happened. So you guys picked 2,900 pounds of citrus, yeah, and 2,600 pounds of broccoli yesterday, all right? So that is like, that is like over two and a half tons. If you're not a math major, I'm not either. Uh, So someone had explained that to me. But two and a half tons that you harvested yesterday that went to Grace Community Food Pantry, the Family Life Center, and a couple other smaller food pantries. So let's just celebrate that moment together one more time. So way to go for doing that. Yeah. Now, if you're looking to continue to help our county and be for Flagler, uh, this month we are doing a food drive for the month of February. So we are partnering with our partner, Grace Community Food Pantry, who does an amazing job. They help to feed over 600 families each week uh, that they've screened that are families who are in transition or they're out of a job or they're just needing some help. And so that food that we collect for them goes directly to those families that are right here in our county. So if you have 
not gotten a bag, grab a bag on your way out. It tells you what type of items they're looking for. Fill that bag up, bring it back uh, on one of the Sundays this month, and that would go directly to that food pantry and help out a lot of families that are in our county. And then another way that you can help out, last week we told you about a need that we have right here in Epic. And so if you haven't noticed, we're like growing. We've got, we're averaging just over 600 people in Epic at this point. Yeah. So there are almost 200 kids here on Sunday mornings alone, okay? And so if you haven't been over there, there's 200 kids between the two services, and that's amazing. And so what we need is more help to continue to make this a place that we all love to attend. And so about 20 of you last week to help us out, we need about 60 more people to help us out to have like full capacities teams and nobody's like getting burnt out or tired. So you have a card on your seat. It says you are the answer. If you could grab that card, I want to highlight a few of the teams uh, that we have that you can help us out. In. So we've got the connections team. Those are the people who are opening the doors for you, smiling, helping out with the coffee and everything. Real simple. If that's a way you'd love to plug in, that would be a great team to give to be a part of. There's the, a new team, the creative media team. So we put together tons of videos. Uh, we need video editors, videographers. Uh, if you've got graphic design ability, that team would be amazing for you to help serve on. When we see some of these life-changing stories on the screens, that's the team that will help put those together. And then Epic Kids, I tell you what, uh, my son yesterday, so I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, two-year-old, and one on the way. So, and we found out it's a boy. Uh, so yeah, one girl, three boys. So I feel like I need to read 10 books on raising boys. But anyways, um, so my four-year-old, we were at Chick-fil-A and he sees his teacher and he was super excited. And then he wanted to tell his mom that he saw his teacher and everything. And so I can't tell you how much you make a difference in one hour of a kid's time each week, they will never forget it. And so it's an amazing thing to be a part of. And so we need tons of help in Epic Kids. Pipeline is our student ministry for sixth to eighth graders. They meet during the second service at 11 o'clock over in the gym. Surge, and then tech and prep. We put this place that looks like a church instead of a school every week in the morning or the afternoon teardown team. And then also tech and worship. If you don't know how to do anything, that's okay. We'll train you. We'll get you prepped. We'll get you ready. And so we're going to make it real easy. We've got all of those teams represented at the back table there where it says Epic Church, and we've got our applications, interview times, and also uh, training times and everything. If you wouldn't mind stopping by there, taking about five to ten minutes and filling out that information so that we can get you plugged in to one of these teams and so that we continue to be a church that is a church for people who don't do church. Now, one more announcement that I have for you. Uh, March 5th, that is a Saturday, we are having our Epic Kids Drive-In Movie Night, okay? And so this is a great family event. You come and we have cardboard boxes that they build into cars and we have a contest for that. It looks amazing. Some of these cars, they look better than my car. Um, but they've got candy, popcorn, and then a movie. It's free, okay? All you have to do is show up. And so you mark that on your calendar, March 5th, that's a Saturday, and it's going to be right here in this auditorium, and it's going to be a great time for the family. And then finally, I just want to say thank you guys. Thank you so much um, to those of you who uh, partner with us financially to make this the place that it is. I mean, we're going on almost six and a half years, and we've never had to like beg for money or do any of that kind of stuff. So thank you guys for what you do and how you invest here 
which is really investing in our community. So thank you so much for doing that. If you would like to partner with us financially, there's two ways that you can do that. You can give through the giving boxes located at the end of each section or securely online at theepicchurch.com. Now, if you're new, we just want you to sit back and enjoy the rest of the service. So thanks for being here.